0: Welcome to Inside the Four Walls. Sports nutrition, active nutrition, and lifestyle nutrition is our world. It's changing, it's adapting, and it's evolving at a pace not many of us had anticipated. And we want to know more. I've learned over the years that some of the best insight is derived through conversation. And if you truly want to understand the dynamics of the market, you need to look beneath the surface. You need to ask those from within. So that's what we're doing. We talk to people from within the industry, those that have opinion, those that have been at the coalface, and those that have been there and done it. So buckle in and enjoy the ride. I'm Nick Morgan, and this is Inside the Four Walls. Welcome to episode 14 of Inside the Four Walls. Now, we are back after a short break, but we are back with a bang. And today we have Marcus Malinga and Jack Morrison from Your Zuki. Now, if you haven't heard of your prior to this podcast, then you are absolutely going to want to know more after you've listened to today's story. Between Jack and Marcus, you will get one of the most enthusiastic, passionate, and raw stories about starting a brand over the last three to four years and making noise in what is inherently a niche and functional market of dietary supplements, but bringing it into the mainstream in an experiential way through a differentiation in format. I think between Jack and Marcus, you have two infectious individuals who tell one of the best stories to date on Inside the Four Walls, but I will never be able to do it fully justice. So with that, I'm gonna let you sit back, relax and enjoy and leave you in the capable hands of both Jack and Marcus to tell you all about your Zuki. Marcus, Jack, welcome to Inside the Four Walls. I'm super excited to have you both on. I feel like you boys and Yazuki are talk of the town, um, not least because of, uh, I guess, some good public relations recently, securing a funding and so on. But actually, I think doing something innovative in the market at the moment. So um, thanks for joining us. Um, Jack, probably a good place to start is if you can give everyone listening a bit of a background to the genesis of the idea of Yozuki. Where did it start and how did it come about?
1: Yeah, thank you for having us on, Nick. I think um, I just wanted to say off, off the bat, like we, I actually feel quite nervous coming on here. We, we listened to some of the podcasts last night and, um, and just some of the people that you've had on. It doesn't feel right that we are on this. Obviously, we're growing fast, but we're still new. Like a lot of the people that you've had on are, are people that have been and done it like we're like right in the thick of doing it uh I, I listened to the one with the bulk powders guys amazing uh insight marcus was listening to andy duckworth one and we know andy duckworth a little bit uh anyway but like it just yeah i find it interesting that you want to have us on we went we went on one with jason rickaby a couple of weeks ago and it all feels a bit weird that we should be on the show but but yeah i'll give you a bit of a bit of background like the whole Yorzuki idea i, de- I f- still feels like we're we're not very well known we are very new um our brand our supplement brand we focus on the delivery system and we focus on the experience of using products so it can't, it sounds like a stupid name i can tell you where it came from and then maybe you'll kind of understand a little bit about about what what the what the it's idea would be is.
0: one of my questions yeah. So, so
1: well, start. this is, I think the name, if you understand where the name come from, you understand what we were going for. And like, looking back, it was kind of, it's, it's, it was audacious what we tried to do in that it was very difficult. And this is our first business, Marcus and I. And I don't think we really knew what we were doing when we set out to build this brand. But so the whole idea behind Zuki and that Zuki idea... Um, We sell different types of liquid product. We have an omega-3 Zuki, we have a vitamin C Zuki, we we will soon be launching a turmeric Zuki, we have a vitamin D Zuki. And the idea really is to focus on the delivery system and focus on the experience. So when you see that word Zuki, whether it's with our vitamin C or our vitamin D or whatever it is, that is like the mark of quality that the product has been designed to be as bioavailable as possible, and it's designed to be as enjoyable as possible to use every day. So it's about bioavailability, it's about impact, but it's also about experience. Okay, so these sorts of things that are very, very different to your capsules and your powders um, and, and, and your pills, and very different to supplements that have come before. Um, and so when we set out to do what we to do what we've done, it was all about that delivery system. And the idea was if we were bringing a new format to the market. Um, we didn't really want to, like, technically we could have called it emulsion and we could have said, oh, we're going to sell an omega 3 emulsion. Or we're going to sell, um, we're going to sell a vitamin D emulsion or we're going to sell liquid products. Um, but because it was so different or we thought it was different, uh, we figured we should give it a name. Um, and so like that idea, that word Zuki, that represents the delivery system and the format. It's about the format that you're taking these products in. Um, so kind of a weird idea, kind of kind of different to what's come before. And and the way it all kind of started was with Marcus, what year will it have been, Marcus? When you'd
2: 2017 it was, I think.
1: No, we launched the business in 2017. Oh. When did you injure your knee? When did when what That's was the Two thousand and fifteen. Yeah, so 2015, Marcus, very serious rugby player. Um, I don't know if this is on video, Mark's big guy, looks like a rugby player, he's got the cauliflower ears, and he injured his knee pretty badly, and he had to have an operation, and when he was recovering from this operation, the surgeon said, in the recovery process, take really high-strength omega-3 fish oil, and anybody who's taken really high-strength omega-3 fish oil will know that involves swallowing massive capsules, and it involves the occasional fishy burp coming up later in the day. So like, generally speaking, these things work, you deliver a really high dose, it can help with the inflammation. People have been taking it for years for these benefits from these fatty acids, but the experience was very poor and the delivery system. So using that capsule as a way to get it into your system, effectively just a a massive gelatin torpedo of fish oil, that didn't seem like the best way to do it. And it wasn't a great experience. and, And we thought, or Marcus had the idea, there has to be a better way. And around this time um, was when vitamin waters were becoming a thing. And and I think it was 50 Cent had this vitamin water and it was very different. So rather than having your pills, you you can have this drink and it gives you all your vitamins for the day. And so so Marcus had the the very naive idea that, okay, well, if you can have a vitamin water, why can't you have an omega-3 water? Um, and that was kind of the start of it. And, and, and at this time, I was at university studying in Manchester. Marcus and I were really good friends. We used to play cricket when we were younger um, and our, our friendship groups kind of merged. We went to different schools, but local schools. So we kind of became pretty good friends around sort of 14, 15. And, and we'd always kind of been into business and chatted about business. And Marcus was like very, very entrepreneurial. I was a bit more academic, so I went on to do economics and and come from quite an academic family background. But but like just quite entrepreneurial in my own way as well. So we both used to sell sweets at school, uh, Marcus to a very big scale. Marcus probably had the biggest sweet operation going um, in the country at the time. You Eventually, tell me about what you used to have your blazer. You know you know when you have. But uh, I don't know if anyone's in the cartoon recess and they go into the playground, they pull yeah. the jackets open and they've got the CDs or whatever. Marcus had sweets. He used to he used to fill his locker with sweets. And when they banned him from having a locker, he used to fill the inside lining of his blazer Brilliant. at school. And so when people came up to him and gave him 50p, he'd reach into a hole in his lining and hand them a bag of sweets. It's quite an operation.
0: I'm just waiting for you to stand outside Sainsbury's for the same <laughs> thing with your, with your Yazuki choices. Yeah. Um it's well, quite, quite interesting. But on the experience on and on the product, it, it's creating a drink. So if someone comes to it, they, they might look at it and think, is that a gel when you see well, it? Well, Nick, so, so,
1: so this was the start. So basically, we first when we first set out, we thought, let's do a drink. And we, we went off and we tried to find some people that could, could put fish oil into a drink, okay? And 99 percent of people gave us samples of fishy water, um, which is which is what you would probably expect um and we worked with a few different scientists eventually we there was an approach um of of using different technology to encapsulate the fish oil so that it can be emulsified in water and that prevented it from being oxidized and it gave you something that tastes quite good now the problem with the drinks market as we found out so we had this amiga water brand and we had a drink and we had a great product it tastes good but it wasn't viable i think that we we, we had purchase orders, I think, from, from, from major retailers, but we realized that if we'd accepted any of these purchase orders, we would have gone out of business, would have been losing money. Um, and so we kind of at that point, with the same idea and the same thinking, like we still thought we were onto something with the experience and the delivery and the way to take your vitamins or get your fish oil, um, we pivoted towards supplements and and working with the same sort of approach so using encapsulation technologies we we looked at higher concentrations so rather than it being a drink it was an emulsion and it was like a yogurty texture and that was when we launched our first well actually when we first started out we didn't have any money and we came up with these product ideas and and it was going to be very expensive to get off the ground and so we initially Actually pitched to some big, more established brands, and we tried to do some private label deals. So, like even um, I don't know if they will mind me saying, like even people like Bolt Powders and and some other companies who we did end up launching some products with, um, we pitched them bespoke products and we launched through wholesale private label deals with them, and that got us off the ground a little bit. But it was very very slow, um, and they didn't really get it, and they didn't really see that, see where we thought we could take this and. We, we kind of saw it like it wasn't just going to be fish oil. Like this is a new way that you can deliver everything. any Anything that comes in a big capsule or a sickly oil or to an extent a messy powder, like we could do it in a better way. Like there was technology now that meant that you could do it in a way that was there was more bioavailable and it had a much better experience. And so we launched our own company. So we ended up borrowing some money from our family, so my family, Marcus's family, for the first production run. And we did a production run and we launched our brand, and it was the Your Zuki brand. And we launched the Omega 3 Zuki and we launched a couple of other products. We did an MCT Zuki, which was the similar idea, but with MCT oil. And then we did an Amiga 369 Zuki, which was with flaxseed oil. And so, like, we'd, we'd given birth to this idea. We had the Zuki concept. And we went out into the world and tried to prove that people people liked it. Um, and we didn't have. So, like, it's interesting when you when you listen to Bulk Powders, uh, Bulk, now Bulk, um, talk about their story, about how they built, like, a very solid e-commerce business from the outset. And now they're trying to morph into a brand. Like, even to this day, we're still figuring out the e-commerce. Our e-commerce is growing very fast now and we, we kind of get it, but when we started out, we didn't have a clue about e-commerce and we assumed naively that we could launch these products and we could just sell them online and people would love them and they'd buy them again and we would grow. But it didn't work like that. And, and we found that through doing shows, so we did a couple of shows, we launched it at part. we sampled with people, we sold to people. People loved it, but we didn't have a model. Um, and so we kind of like, whilst we were trying to figure out a way to take the business, we did a few more shows and we we wanted to get to the point where we were confident that people love this and they understood the concept and they understood the brand. And very, very luckily for us, and this is this is a common theme. I'm just rambling on here, but I'm trying That's to give good. you the full That's story. Keep going. If I give you the story, like you'll see this is a, it's a weird path. So we got very lucky. We, we were doing a show at Olympia, it was a consumer show and we, met somebody um, called David, and David said, I love this, I love your brand, you need to go to QVC. Now, QVC is obviously the massive television shopping channel, we didn't know what it was, well, we kind of knew what it was, but we didn't really appreciate the size of it, and the potential of it, and we basically, we said, okay, right, David, David took us there as a consultant, and he introduced us to QVC, and QVC loved us, And, and I remember, Marcus, when we were there, the first time we went there, and we didn't, We were so nervous for this. And this was in our first year. So we were just starting out and just doing business. We were so nervous. We were like, look, it doesn't matter what happens. The worst thing that's going to happen is we're going to get a really good video for our website. And at the time, like we were, we were hardly selling anything through our website. So we were like, maybe this is, this is going to give us a professional sharp video that we can use on our website and maybe we can sell some products. And this could be the sort of segue into our e-commerce stores taking off. And, um, and we went on and we sold that. We sold the fish oil. But I remember when we first went into that meeting, we were sat there, weren't we, in the reception. Anybody who's been to QVC, they have these headquarters. And in the lobby, so in the reception area, you've just got a wall full of TVs. And they've got sort of QVC. This is when it dawned on us like that this could actually be quite a, re- a really big opportunity. So they've got QVC UK, QVC Germany, QVC US, QVC Japan, QVC China, all these different TV channels on at the same time. And every single one of them was selling bras. And every single one of them was selling like, bras and knickers, and it was women. And we would just sat there in the lobby with our fish oil. And we were like, oh my God, we're, we're we're in the wrong place. Um, but around that time, QVC were trying to get away from sort of that very sort of one, not one-dimensional, but like they were they were known for um sort of fashion and jewelry and gadgets, and they were trying to do a big push into health. And so Right place, right time. We walk in with a great taste in fish oil product. That is a lot of their customers take fish oil. It's slightly older demographic. And we did a show and we basically say, look, we'll give you seven minutes. We'll give you seven minutes on air. And we just, the phone lines just went crazy, didn't they? We, we we went on and we sold out and we sold hundreds of units. I think we they do an initial order and then they do an advanced order. We sold out of everything. And, and that kind of gave us the platform to start building the brand. So... We hadn't really figured out the e-commerce, but we knew we had a good product. We knew people loved it, and QVC gave us that sort of opportunity to speak to the nation. And so, and and also because the product was different, and this is another challenge, is like it was so different, it needed explaining.
0: Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, because it is different, and people can look at it and it can stand out, but they still need to be spoken to. Yeah. More so than you'll ever get at a at an on store point when someone looks at it for 10, 10 seconds twenty seconds even if you're lucky, and so that explaining point. But what what a, what a bonkers story in some respects, but a good one. I mean, in in yeah. that sense. Well, well, we, we, the The learnings on. would be that it's like an MVP model. You launch, you move. You didn't really know, and you just kept moving to the opportunities that that presented yeah. themselves. Well,
1: it, it nearly it nearly put us out of business. So we. <laughs> So basically I wouldn't even go as far as to say it was, there was nothing planned about how this unfolded. Like we didn't, we never sat down and we never made a plan. It's like similar to how the Bull guys were saying, like in the early stages, they didn't have like a two year plan or a three year plan, or we were kind of just sort of moving with it and just seeing where it took us. And we did a lot of QVC and it got to the point where we were doing so much on QVC. It built up to this massive day and we did like 10,000 bundles in a day. But the problem was, is that we, this was our, in our second year we to do 10,000 bundles in a day you have to produce 12,000 and so like after that promotion even though we sold thousands and we got in all these households and it was great like actually it nearly crippled us and we decided after that that we needed some bread and butter business we still hadn't figured out e-commerce at that point and so we wanted to move into the retail market and we, look, we just launched the vitamin C product at that point. And this is a, a liposomal vitamin C. So it's vitamin C Zuki, but for this particular ingredient, whereas with the omega-3 fish oil, it's a micellar encapsulation, for the vitamin C, it's a liposomal, so slightly more suited. And that's like, again, that's part of that Zuki idea is you go with the, the most appropriate delivery system for that active ingredient. So we'd launched this vitamin C product, and we got a call from, very luckily, around this time we wanted to move into retail, another stroke of fluke look we got a call from the queen's pharmacy in london and the queen's pharmacy in london's a pharmacy called john bell and croydon have you heard of have you heard of john bell and croydon
0: no i haven't but keep going
1: if you, if you haven't heard of john bell and croydon then that's uh, that's shame on you so this is like the most pristine pharmacy in the whole of london it's got the royal steel. so if you think if the queen needs a prescription, she's going to John Bell and Croydon and it's just the most gorgeous store, massive, almost like department like store. And this was like the creme de the creme of London. And we were like, this is amazing. We went down to London, we visited them. They loved it. They stocked the brand. And that was our first listing in London. And we kind of made the decision at that point. I moved down to London and um, uh, we used to sleep on our friend's sofas in Clapham. But eventually we plucked up the courage. We're going to take the risk. I'm going to rent a room. And so I moved down to London and we basically said, look, QVC is terrifying. We need a business model. What I'm going to do is we're just going to make sure that we become the best selling product in John Croydon. And if we do that, so this was just me. I used to stand on the shop floor all day, every day, sampling and explaining the product to people and just growing it, just like forcing it to grow and forcing it into people's hands. And if we do that, then hopefully some of the other retailers will say, well, oh, you're the best seller in John Belcroydon. We, we should list you here. And that is exactly what happened. So we got a call from, after we became a good seller in John Bo Croydon, we got a call from Planet Organic. We went into Planet Organic. We nailed that. We trained all the staff members. We sampled and we sampled and we sampled. And then we became the best seller in Planet Organic and Revital phoned us. And then we did the same in Revital. And then As Nature Intended phoned us. And then eventually we got into Whole Foods. And by this time, we were building a lot of traction in London retail. E-commerce was still pretty much non-existent like it was growing but it was growing organically not because we were we were digital wizards but because we were just the brand was starting to grow and we were sort of forcing because we were selling more and more word of mouth was starting to kick in the products are amazing so people were repeat buying in these stores and and we grew that way and then and then really what kind of kicked us up a notch even further so we'd become Every store that we were in in London, we were the best-selling vitamin brand. Um, maybe not as a whole, but like within the products that we sold. So our vitamin C is the best seller in all of these stores, still is. And around that time, uh, then we get through to March. So we're just launching Whole Foods and things are really picking up now. And then um, coronavirus happens around March time. And so obviously, we would just been making our way through London. So our brand awareness was building. And when coronavirus hit... And the whole world started to turn their attention to immunity products, like we just it just went crazy. And and after that, like we just the 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 amount of sashes that we sold that we were doing, and again we nearly put ourselves out of business, didn't we, Marcus?
2: Yeah, about a million sashes a week we're making with with four machines up and running. We had um, a few what sort of senior guys who built and sold companies who we were very successful in their own right who decided to help us out. They had, you know, their own manufacturing facility and, you know, one of the guys was working till early hours of every morning, every night, pumping out um, products for us. And um, wicked experience, but yes, yeah, push us so close to the line, so yeah. close. To-
0: how, how did that, so coronavirus hits, everyone sees that there's an importance for immunity. That's okay. But how did they end up finding you online? So you haven't well, really been digital with it. So, so you have not got yeah. big e-commerce companies. Well, have they suddenly found you?
1: It was purely through brand awareness that we built up in London. Like we'd become, like bearing in mind over the last year to 18 months, like we would been really growing fast in London retail. And all of these stores, we were the best selling vitamin C. So when it happened, people rushed into the shops in London and they said, what did they go for? They went for, I need the best immunity product in the shop. And in those shops that we were in, we were the best-selling vitamin C product, which was like the, the chief immunity ingredient. So people are like, I need liposomal vitamin C. Word started to spread. In March and April, this is interesting, right? I don't know if we've ever spoke about this, but so around that time, Nick, when you look at the Google search trends, we were like Zuki vitamin C. So our brand, our brand is called Yozuki, but people often refer to it as Zuki. So Zuki vitamin C was like the, the after covid And coronavirus, it was like the third fastest growing search trend on Google in the UK, because the word of mouth just just went crazy. And around that time, like we had just started investing more into our e-commerce. So there was this massive word of mouth effect that kicked in off the back of the London retail brand growing that we were doing. And we just start over the last six months before that point we did. We've always had a subscription model and we've always. We've always had e-commerce up and running we just we just didn't really know what we were doing, and we were starting to invest more into it and again, like around that time, we just started to get it going a bit more. We just started figuring out Google ads and retargeting on facebook and and we just did we did a phenomenal amount of business in a very short space of time. Everyone around us in our industry sold out and the problem was so around there the, the was a, it was like a recipe for disaster because you had all this demand for vitamin C and you had a lot of demand for liposomal vitamin C, which is what we were, we were pushing. That, that was our thing. Like this is vitamin C, but it's liposomal vitamin C. It's very different from your standard vitamin C and people were looking for it. And that was growing. And the airlines obviously all shut because no one was flying anywhere. The airlines went down and our, our, our liquid. So the actual liposomal encapsulation stage of the production takes place in the U S and so Air freight prices went through the roof and everyone around us was sold out. We have no idea what we could sell. But for a time, we basically made the decision, didn't we, Marcus, that we're probably never going to get a chance again where so many people are willing to try our product, which is very different. And in normal times, it takes a lot longer to acquire these customers. Like People want it and, and we can't keep up with demand. So we basically racked up a massive freight bill and we flew over the manufacturers in the US were at capacity We're doing like 14 tons a week of of liquid, flying it over in the IBCs. And then we had four companies in the UK who were filling the, putting the liquid into sachets and, um, and we sold millions of sachets in a short space of time. But then the problem was um, the, the retailers suddenly just stopped. Okay. And everyone went into lockdown and all this demand that we were still producing and we were still racking up this freight bill which was ridiculous because it was like 10 times the freight and then it just stopped overnight. And we were like, Oh my God, we're going to go out of business because we'd produced all this stock. We owed all this money on freight. Like we hadn't been making a profit. We'd just been saying, look, we just want to get the products into people's hands so that they can experience the brand. And, um, and then we, we panicked, didn't we? But, but luckily that's when we really started to get the e-commerce going. And then we grew we had an initial downturn um, and then when all the retailers were sort of working through the stock and then our e-commerce just grew and grew and grew and grew. Um, And like that kind of put us, it forced us to really take the e-commerce seriously. Um, And so, yeah, and that's kind of taken us. we've had a year, probably the last year of sort of solid uh, growth e-com. Our e-commerce is growing much faster than our retail. And then also like we've just got, with the retail, we've we've stepped up from London retail to national retail, and then we've we've gone nationwide in like the US and Canada in retail. So we've gone from being like predominantly retail-driven, and we still are in thousands of stores around the world, but we're now kind of, we're trying to morph into the e-commerce. The e-commerce is becoming more and more critical.
0: And uh, so many questions have brought, and probably to be fair, <laughs> that it's probably the least I've ever spoken on a podcast so far. But this is good, because I'm loving every second of it. My first question is... I mean, one of the classic things is you know, within this, you've suddenly got very cheap products available with an immunity, let's say vitamin C. You've gone with a premium uh, technology, bioavailability, so it's really important. But I guess at this stage, given the customers you had in London, that premiumness was exactly what people wanted because presumably people think in response to coronavirus, COVID, they need the best products available. So I guess I'm assuming that was good timing to have a premium product. And then the second follow-up question is, but how does that affect your sales across the geography of just say the UK at this stage? I mean, I'm a northerner by heart up north and they are tight, right? So does that mean you had great business in London, but um, price and technology wasn't so important in, in Newcastle or Liverpool? No, well, there. There any difference? Yeah,
1: I, see, yeah, I see where you come from. So bear in mind, up to the point of Corona, like coronavirus accelerated our growth, but we were still growing rapidly. So... The, the way that we kind of did business in retail and with having a different product, like one of the major keys to how we made it work and how we introduced people to a product that was way more expensive than your standard vitamin C products um, was that we we sold them in single sachets. So the products, they have to come in single sachets so that they're stable. Like it's um it's very, liposomes are very sensitive to oxidation. So if you have it in a bottle, by the time you get halfway through the bottle, it, it could have oxidized and it won't be as effective. So from from a functional perspective we had to have it in a sachet but from a retail perspective it's been a big strength for us because the products taste really good like that's that's a starting point for all the formulas that we launch. we try and make them taste as good as they can and obviously the the because of the technology because of the bioavailability they're really effective so we sold a lot of single sachets like for example when we went into whole foods in London. The, the the typical pattern for us entering a retail. I'm probably giving away too much here. Am I giving away too much here, Marcus? Are you happy for me to tell? Um so like the typical pattern that we all follow. I think everyone's gonna copy us now. So we so we go into a retailer and we sell the sachets individually. And what that allows people to do is obviously the brand and the products, it looks kind of curious. It obviously looks very different. It stands out on a shelf and people are curious to try it liposomal vitamin c i don't know what liposomal is but i know that i've never had it before and i know that it sounds interesting and i know the brand looks cool and for whatever reason people pick these single sachets up and then we get we we basically grow organically people buy the singles and you tend to see the single sales will grow quite quickly in the initial stage and then all those customers that have tried the singles and enjoyed it and felt it like this is the difference right If you you use these delivery systems, the more sophisticated delivery systems that offer greater bioavailability, you feel it. So if you take a liposomal vitamin C or if you take a normal vitamin C tablet, you will feel the difference. And when people take our products, they want to try, they want to use it again. And so it grew through repeat purchase rates. So people start off spending $1.99 and they try the product. They come back later over time and they start buying a month's supply. And it's a very different proposition. If you say to someone, okay, spend 40 pounds on a month's supply of vitamin C. You don't know, you don't know what it is. You don't really know what liposomal is. You don't know whether it's going to work for you. You don't know whether you're going to like it. That's a different proposition. But if you say to them, try it, see what you think. And if you're looking at a 40 pound box of vitamin C, but you're saying, I know that I love the taste of this product. I know that I feel massive benefits. I know that I feel more of an impact than my my typical vitamin C, 40 pounds for a month's supply of feeling good and feeling energized and supporting my immune system. That's not a difficult proposition to get over. So that's how we grew, I think. And, and, and that was a major part of it. And, and I think that there's, we've also come in at a time where there has been a lot more education in the market. People are starting to take more interest in the technical side behind products. And, and I think that, think to an extent Nick and I don't I don't want to insult anyone here no I'm not going to insult you obviously (laughs) I hope not (laughs) no but when you look around and when we started out when you look around in the supplement industry and this is what we saw in 2017 okay when what put it this way when when I say to you supplements or vitamins like what comes to mind what do you think of
0: well sadly you end up with capsules tablets you risk this you risk descriptors of things like a bit bland, maybe a bit dry, a bit clinical, um, yeah. and those types of words, And which is why, you know, the reason why I have got you on and I want and I love the passion um, and everything that comes through is the fact that even in all the things I've done recently, the big driver of advocacy for me is, is, is what builds the consumer experience of a product. How do you do that? Now, multiple people like you have done through, you know, format, flavor, combinations of that. It's about the brand. There's a beautiful quote, by the way. I don't know if you follow the brand um, uh, Ghost. So from the from the US and, and, yeah. and the, the CEO over there, a guy called Dan, who's a big guy in, in the supplements industry, basically said that they formulate for the one percent, but then they build the brand, the marketing, the messages, and the flavors for the ninety nine. So basically, they give the best formulations for the one percent that understand it. So what's going to build that brand is the nut to the 99 is about the brand and marketing and their experiential factors such as flavor in that instance and in capsules tablets there's some growing stuff you know like the, the you know the dual capsules they look a bit sexier there's some colors they're working on flavors they're working on smells and things like that so that's that's the background and that's what's making this very tangible to me that, yeah. um, the story is amazing but the factors that underpin it I think are very, very sensible. Um, and, and that's what's really interesting to me. Actually.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think that we actually had in the early days and it comes back to trying to do it differently. Like when you do a product, that's very different to what people typically see. So for example, when we launched the Omega three product, it <laughs> wasn't anything like that on the market. And and when we launched our vitamin C, there was a handful of other products. It was actually a bit easier to grow the vitamin C because there were other, even though we were selling, vitamin C Zuki, that was our product, but it still fit into this liposomal vitamin C market. So it was a little bit easier in the extent because we were we were part of a market. It was a niche market, it was a growing market, but we were part of it. So there was 1% of customers who understand what liposomal was, right? And there, were, there was 1% of customers in the vitamin C market that were saying, I'm gonna set out and look for a liposomal vitamin C. And there were searches for it, and there was a market on Amazon, and we kind of fit into that in the early days where we made the big jump was we so we were the first we were the first liposomal product to ever be listed in holland and barrett we were the first liposomal product to be ever listed in boots we were the first liposomal product to ever be listed in gnc in america so what we're trying to do and what's kind of been accelerated as people have, have looked more in depth into supplements and delivery systems is we're taking something that has been very niche and a very clinical and has been housed in the world of, of, of pharmaceuticals for many years <clears throat> and we're trying to make it mainstream. And so our brand and our, our feel and our look and the taste and the flavors that's mainstream. That's the 99% but Absolutely. the product niche, the product yeah. is niche, but we're making it more mainstream. And it's interesting. If you want to dive into the market, Nick, have a look at the, the revenue side. So on Amazon, even on Amazon, which I know is not the full market, but it's a pretty good indication. You look at who the market leaders are by revenue, not by unit sales, but by revenue, who the market leaders are. Liposomal is, is right up there. So as in terms of market shares go, even though the number of units sold, people are, are still, the vast majority of people are still buying the cheaper mm-hmm. vitamin Cs. Um, but we've, when we launched in Holland and Barrett, we've very quickly moved up the rankings for, for the, in the vitamin C
0: category. But with that, you've got to have something in the market to differentiate. You've got to have something, uh, some good USPs. Those USPs have to be authentic. They have to be sustainable over time. And that tends to come with good science, good delivery, um, lots of things that come with it. Um, So at this stage, you need those. I mean, otherwise, you're just another... Because at this stage, so many people have launched into categories, particularly immunity, principally because why wouldn't you? The world stopped and paused like no other time in our history. And all of a sudden, immunity was thrust in front of everybody. And therefore you've got to have something a little bit more. And, and actually, you know, rightly or wrongly, people, you know, sadly are struggling in the space of this economically. But on the flip side, what what an what a situation to find yourselves in that's going to underpin the importance of premium technologies, and ingredient sourcing, and everything else. So it's it's quite fascinating. It I is. must ask you, go on, Marcus, yeah.
2: It really is key because when we're speaking to buyers of big retailers, if we were selling a, a pill, powder, or a capsule, you know, there's there's no USP there. It comes down to how big's your war chest, how much money you're going to spend on marketing to push your vitamin C products when we're selling 20 of the same commodity-style products.
1: Under their own but, brand as well. You've got own brand to
0: contest. Yeah. And, and we the, the prices are cheap on those. And we, we've looked at that. And you know, when you go at the good, the better, or the pest, the could for some of these products in a capsule format vitamin c is unbelievably cheap and available
2: yeah yeah it comes down to how big your marketing spend is if you're just launching a a commodity product and you know when we're we're speaking to to the big retailers it's not a discussion on how big is your marketing budget it's a discussion on the product and how it's going to pull in new customers and drive revenue and pull new customers to these retailers you know
0: and that that's really important because again, the number of people I would speak to and all the brands that are listening or other people that are listening who know how t- difficult it is to go and talk to buyers and, and, and talk about their brand above and beyond the price they're negotiating or the, the margin they have to give away. And they wish they could tell them this story. But the problem is the stories can be too convoluted and not always mm-hmm. built on inevitable or, or is the strength of a story that you really, really want. If you can go in and everyone wants you because of your brand and your offering, then the rest follows and actually conversations are, are a lot bit easier. And maybe a comment from you both. Um, probably the most important thing about this format is you can, okay, they buy to sample, but you could sample it. You can sample it. And actually, vitamins and minerals, uh, capsules, tablets, there is, there is no experience. In a, well, yeah, there's nothing,
1: there's nothing to experience. Yeah, that's the thing is like, if you, and, and this is a big thing, like and when we go on QVC and you listen to a lot of the other brands, when they're explaining it, they say, okay, we're selling this pill. Um, you need to, it's gonna do this, this, and this for you. You should notice the benefits in six months.
0: So let me, let me to put all of this, because to some degree you've answered so many questions in it already, but the genesis of the idea starts in 2015. Sadly, marks you have a, you know, a, a bad serious knee incident. So you kind of get your head around, well, this is nothing is out there to work for me. So you've got a lovely eye in that. You're the consumer all of a sudden. The brand launches in 2017. Mm-hmm. We are now only at the beginning of um, 2021. So you're really only talking about three full years. How now, you- I sort of asked you in a, in advance of this, like for context to everyone, because we've heard the, the story of all of how you got there, but if you could almost simply put into units or something, just give people an extent of the growth, the actual growth from uh, 17 to 18 to 19 to 20 and what you feel you're on 21 would be really useful because it'll sort of tie in everything you've said that people can get their head around. That makes sense.
2: I think um, we we tripled, tripled again this year, haven't we Jack compared to last year?
0: Yeah.
1: We've either doubled or or tripled every year for our four years. I think that I'm hoping that if we do, if if we stay on track for this year, we should be pretty high up there on the, on the fast track 100. Um, with the growth that we've had. So, I don't want to throw a specific number out there, but we've doubled and tripled every year for four years, and we're on track to, I think, double or triple again this year. So, and we're it in, you we want some more numbers? So, we're in um, two and a half thousand retail stores worldwide. So, we're nationwide in the UK, Ireland, we just launched nationwide in Canada and all across America. Um, that's another story. If you want to dive into the US retail yeah. market, that's another story for another time. But that's been exciting and scary. Um, and I think that we're probably gonna we're kind of go for a bit of a phase of there's a danger that we could overgrow, and there's a danger that we could overextend ourselves. And I keep coming back to the bulk guys, like there was something interesting he said um, when you were talking about the markets that they've expanded into. I think there is definitely, and we've said this a few times, Marcus, haven't we, you, there is a danger that you spread yourselves too thin. So yeah. I think we're, even though we're rapidly expanding around the world, I think we may enter a phase of, of consolidation and just a bit more manageable growth with through the e-commerce and the D2C and the subscription model. But yeah, we're growing very fast and we're on track to, to triple again, double or triple right. again this year.
2: I mean, year, uh, last year we had we sold a product every was every five seconds last yeah, year in, or
1: now, in 2020 every five seconds someone had one of our one of our sessions which is pretty cool we work that out it's probably not like the thing is right you're talking to us and we're, we're like we're still a startup we're still a, a messy startup and and we're, we're trying to do that whole thing where we morph into a proper business and like the sorts of numbers that the bulk guys talk about and the, and andy duckworth in and my protein Like we are just a minnow in that pond. We are a tiny little minnow and we can't pretend for a second that we're massive, but within our niche, we are, we're quite big. And we're kind of, we've become a market leader in this sort of niche liquid specialist supplement space. And I'm hoping that maybe you get us back on in a year or two's time. And then maybe we'll be, we'll be a, hopefully we'll be a household, a household name that Zuki word at the moment, like, a percentage of the market have heard of it if you know liposomal then you know zuki but i'm hoping that in a year or two's time like i want i want to see everyone's going to be launching liposomal liposomal products and these niche liquid products that have just been condemned to this niche for years and this very clinical edge they will go mainstream and i hope that when it does happen we'll be at the forefront of that
0: I think there's a good chance of it, and I'm sure you will. And and for everyone listening, if they haven't to, listened to previous ones, just to remind them, that I think it was Adam, or it could have been Elliot but Bolt, basically said, I think they'd launched into 14, but they were very clear that when they launched in the market, they wanted to make sure that market worked before they, de- they extended, yeah. which is what you referred to. And yeah. I think you referred to, or between you, Andy was really cl- cl- clear in his as well, where he said, it's easy to sell a product to one person, but it's really difficult to get that person to come back and buy yeah. again. And I suppose when I'm listening to everything that you've said, I'm hearing that people have got it into their hands, and you've managed to do that through various factors that have been fluke or by by skill. But quite a large portion of those have come back to buy again, which is every investor or you know people's interest dream down the line, which I'll come on to funding in a second. And actually, one of the reasons that underpin all of this is experience, experiential elements of a dietary supplement that has traditionally been viewed in a i'm going to use the word bland but that's unfair but it's mechanical
1: so kind of mechanical isn't it in a way i think some of the obviously some of the the powders and the drinks taste great and there's a huge flavor element to them and the the rise of protein bars is a big thing but like i think that sort of certainly some of the vitamins and the products we're doing like the capsule dominated ones then there is no there isn't much experience there and and like we place like it's so crucial to us is, is is the actual fact that people look forward to taking our products and they remember to take them because they want to take them and they love taking them.
0: Um, You've had an amazing, amazing story to tell, by the way. I think you probably still do yourself a disservice by saying, you, you know, I mean, to some degree, if you combine to, you know, half a billion dollar pound company in terms of my protein or a hundred million per year for bulk, then, then yes, but still, if you follow your exponential growth you're you're doing okay. Um, but funding, we'll are you sole co-founders? Have you taken investment? You, the, everything else tells you, you know, you've done it through loans, through banks, the 1.6 million from, from Metro, which I'm sure you're going to spend very quickly going into the US, which we'll come on to. But what's the what's the co-founder um, relationship um, and the, the, how have you funded it?
2: Jack and I, majority shareholders, we founded it. It's still a family-owned business. So Jack's parents, my parents hold some equity. We've it's got...
1: Stuff. between the families, isn't it? This fifty. It's pretty much. It's family owned. So we haven't taken any. We haven't taken any external investment yet.
0: Um, so everything's funded through, you know, the Metro Bank loan you secured one point six million. Yeah, oh, yeah that, we haven't the way
1: taken any. Yeah, so we haven't taken any equity. So I think. Um, so we talked to an initial it's a investment.
0: Approach basically, you you you've taken a debt. It's kind of you are taking on loans and debt, effectively yeah. and refund, And you're you're buying into your own confidence. is basically. Yeah. What you've I,
2: done. I think, that was. We we're confident in the business model. You know, a lot of our e-commerce is reoccurring subscription revenue, so we we knew that the recurring revenue would more than easily cover any repayments we're paying each month. So it was sort of a no-brainer. And I think you know, Jack and I personally, you know, we're young. We don't have any you know any major personal assets. So a lot of the banks were like no. But when we got across our business model, the value of your Zuki, we're quite a few banks offering us. These debt facilities because they they genuinely believed in in the business, which I think I, is a.
1: The three year we- mark. We needed three years, didn't we? I remember when we first tried to get a loan. So, I think another element to this, Nick, and if we were to do it again, maybe we would raise lots of money sooner. Like we don't know anything about raising money, or we didn't know anything about raising money when we started out. Like we we borrowed some money for a first production run. We didn't. We basically bootstrapped it from that first production run and. We actually wasted a lot of money as well. We didn't know what we were doing with marketing. The only way that we got as far as we have, the only way is because people bought again and again and again. That's the only way it's been possible. And when we got to our third year, um, we were borrowing money to put into stock to keep up with demand. So if we were borrowing money, if we went to a bank and said, look, we want to borrow, I don't know, half a million quid. And we want to spend it on an advertising campaign to get the brand out there. We would not feel comfortable taking that debt on. The bank wouldn't feel comfortable lending it to us. Maybe they would, I don't know. Um, but, but when we got to that third year, they started to pay attention to us. I think there was a time when we were two years and 11 months and the bank said no, because you need to be trading for three years. And then when we got into that third year, we went to a different bank and they were really interested because they saw the growth and they saw the profit. Like we were, we have been profitable um, since almost since the outset. So the first year we, we, lost, we lost some money and we were, we were pretty close to going out of business, I reckon. And we built it back up and we've been profitable since then. And so I think because we built a profitable business and we built a business where we weren't, we haven't built a business to this point where we've said, look, this is what we reckon our lifetime value figures are. And this is a great little can of worms to go into. This is what we reckon our lifetime value figures are Lend us some money based on these forecasts, because if we are right in what we think our lifetime value figures are, then this is where we can get it to. And the model looks great. We've got to where we are by saying this is what we've sold. This is how much we've sold it for. This is how much profit we've made. This is how many people want to buy the product from us. Currently, we, we have this many products. We want to do this many products and um, and we need to be up in the ante. Like it's a very different proposition. And so when we went to the banks, because we were like, if we've got subscription revenue, why would we not do it through debt? Why would we lose equity? Let's do it through debt. We did that. We took the loan. And I think what's changed for us, like from a PR perspective, and we didn't realize the significance of this at the time is because it was a bank that lent us money. A lot of people, I think it's part of the reason anyway, obviously the growth was there and our products are becoming more visible, but because it was a bank that lent us money, and, and we didn't have any assets against it and it wasn't just another startup who had a good story who had another equity investment it was a bank that had lent us money with no assets other than the cash flow and the business model um i think that raised a few eyebrows and like i feel like that has that has opened our eyes as well hasn't it Marcus that maybe we're doing this wrong. And like the more we learn about funding and the different types of funding and the nuances of funding and and things like option shares and and how you can structure this equity. I think we're slowly coming around to the idea that that actually our, our products, the repeat purchase rates are so good, the lifetime value figures, are the actual lifetime value figures are so good that actually we would be foolish not to raise again in the near future and to really ramp it up because I don't know what we're waiting for. In a way, like we're kind of-
2: on a scalable business. And yes, we are, you know, multi-million pound company, but what could we do if we took on some serious investment? Where could we be? You know, we're just that we- on a scalable
0: business. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we had various people on here that have raised, I mean, Series A funding could be anything, you know, from 5 million or excess. I mean, Nick, who we took on from Scandinavia, Stefan was brilliant. You know, they just they just took 30 million US dollars to launch ice cream into the US, you know. So there's people with some deep pockets that are super keen. I'm sure even after this, there'll be a number of people who... Uh, I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be absolutely shocked or surprised if you haven't had a number of people knocking your door saying, I've got a little bit of cash that I'd love to put into it, or would probably advise you to say, I'll help you work down that route. I mean, now that you've got... I mean, one of the last few questions, because I'm conscious of the time, is, you know, do, do you feel now that actually you want... That that might be a really viable option for you in terms of accelerating further growth to go into a to- total different level of, of of funding to do that? I mean, it yeah. sounds like you want to make sure that you've both done entirely the research yourselves to get to that point anyway, because that's what I love about Between the Two of You. But is that is that the fair summary, that maybe now's mm-hmm. the time that you might take that conversation on?
2: Yeah, I think we, Jack and I know if we had a you know the, the right well, we've got we've got a very strong team behind us but if we had a few you know, maybe more guidance maybe people with a few gray hairs have been been there and done it before because you know jack and i are 26 it's our first business and don't get me wrong we're doing very very well but if we had you know some people with experience in it and, and 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 some further caps on the business you know this could be a global company and that's where we're getting towards um you know, we're trying to
1: time it. We're trying to time it right, sure. aren't we? I think yeah. that we, there's always that battle, or or at least there should be, where as as a as a as a founder or whatever, you kind of trading off, Okay, when do we take the investment? When do we take the investment? Because obviously, the further that you go, and the trajectory that we're on, the longer that we wait, the more valuable our equity becomes, and then right. the, the less the dilution. But then the trade-off is, is that if you leave it too long. Like we know full well, like we already know people are flooding into this niche. What was once a niche market, people are flooding into. And we might be the market leaders now, but how long before, like how long will that go on before somebody throws a lot of money at it? And and I think we're going to try and time it right. I think there's a few bits that we want to test on the back end. So looking at a few different, we're making some changes to our range. So we're adding new products. We're making a lot of changes to the back end. Um, We're we're trying to optimize that customer journey. We're trying to maximize that lifetime value. We're trying to see that when we start to scale the marketing spend that we as we are doing now, that these customer acquisition costs, they hold true and they don't fade away. And I think we're trying to just get it to a point where we feel really confident. You know what? We're going to get a really big valuation. We're going to get a good injection of cash and we're going to build a team.
0: Well, I mean, you've said all those metrics are exactly where people want to start. And if you're profitable as well along the way, you've got those metrics, particularly lifetime value, repeat purchase, uh, and, and you can demonstrate you've got uh, I guess, a responsive e-commerce model and back end, and you've got great data and the it, you know, you, you're in a really good place. I guess the big thing about all of this is that you you don't end up taking your eye off the ball because you can then start getting right. starry eye starry gazed eyes a little bit at the future or the opportunity. And next thing you know, someone's come along and um um try to jump in onto the same thing. Um how many people are involved? So I mean in four years, what how big's the business? How many, how many heads
2: do you have?
1: We've got a few, how many do you reckon? How many is full full eight. time? How many? Eight
2: official employees, eight but outsourced.
1: We do we yeah, have we work with some so we work with a really good we work with some really good outsourced agencies. Like again, like we we had to go we had to go through a period where we were so lean because we were so scared about the market changing after, after the COVID sort of declined after March, April, May, and it started to drop off. We were like, right, we need to go super lean. Let's just wait and see what happens. And, and I think we're coming out of that mentality because we kept growing and we got our confidence back. We're starting to shift our mentality and expand the workforce a little bit. Um, so we do, we only have about, I think eight, eight or 10, eight or 10 full-time staff, few outsourced and i think we're starting to hire now and bring more people in um there's a few crucial hires that we're making now so the team is expanding but still very i think smaller than it needs to be and that's why it's becoming more difficult there's not enough hours in the day there never has been but it feels like more and more there's less hours in the day
0: and um everything sounds so super positive as it does up here quite an incredible story to get to where you are but has, it, has, it, has all it ever done just shifted the pain points from one thing to another thing to another thing? So presumably now you've, you've got a whole new type of set of pain points launching in the US, probably supply yeah. chain, um, all- cash flow. Yeah. Cash, it's,
1: it's the same, isn't it? It's the same issue. We've always had issues with cash flow in the product-based businesses, especially anybody who's done liquid products. You have to produce a lot. So cash flow has always been hard, and, and we're learning about all these things that have just pained us. Like I remember when someone did a post about Gymshark, and they were talking about their cash conversion cycle, and they had a negative cash conversion cycle, and we were like, "Hang on a second, our cash how, what's ours like?" And it's terrible. So it's the the bigger that we get, the bigger the swings in the cash flow. The more products that we launch, the more retailers that we go into, especially with America, and America is a nightmare because you can't you have to be reactive it's the same in the uk to an extent you have to be reactive you have to have the stock you can't accept orders if you don't have the stock and when lead times are long it's not like it's it's longer lead times because the specialist and because the liquid and there's ingredients source from left right and center so it's i think that a lot of the issues that we're having they're becoming they're becoming bigger. So like it's always been cash flow but now cash flow is very difficult. We we've just we're going to bring on an FD. We never thought in a million years we'd need an FD. We're bringing on an FD, which I actually feel great about and not because we just just getting so stressed with it. Um and that's the thing is like you get to this size and we're fighting fires. We're not doing I used to be in the trenches every day and I would be growing the business and I'd be on the ground and I would be speaking to customers. Now I'm on the phone to the bank. I'm on the phone to uh suppliers, um, I'm on the phone to to retailers, and obviously doing new business. And 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 I feel like we're fighting to, to a point, like we're fighting fires much more now than we're doing growing the business. So that's why, again, it's another tipping point where you have to say, right, do you know what? Stop, be brave, bring people in, bring in a management team. And then you can focus on important stuff rather than just, just fighting fires and trying to chase your tail.
0: And then your next big uh, pain point is actually just people. You've got to find the right people that, that embody you both, which is quite unique, um, and that are prepared to knuckle down like you do. Like, you know, an FD sounds so, like, grandeur, doesn't it, in terms of that? But you yeah. find the right person, they change your life. You find yeah. someone who's not quite – maybe too traditional or it doesn't actually be about traditional but it's not quite right for you and your business then you'd be like christ wish we hadn't done that so i guess your people thing is going to be such a big thing for you because um you're placing trust in more people to deliver your dream and that's i think one of the most or the trickiest things that i pick up from people
2: who built and been successful on entrepreneurial-based businesses so um i think the key to it what we found is the key to, I think Andy Duckworth mentioned this as well, and it's um, giving everyone a piece of the pie. You know, if we're a small team, you know, we, we, we want to build this company into, you know, a hundred million pound plus company. And the only way we do that is everyone is fully incentivized and and having a small piece of the pie with, with option shares. So Jack and I, you know, we're starting to organize that and and it's um, everyone is in the same boat and, and aiming towards one goal. And if we get to that goal, everyone wins.
1: Yeah, it's opened it, our eyes, hasn't it? The whole world of option shares. Like, this is another thing where if we were setting up a business now, like we, we didn't, we didn't set the business up for option shares. Like it, it wasn't geared up for that. And I think that if we were to do it again, like we would we would structure the business slightly differently and we would we would have a big pot of option shares where we could bring in some really good people who would work for a lower salary and they would they would they would see the big picture. Um, and I think that's crucial. And, and I think that that's, that's something that we're still trying to figure out now on that we? we're going to start creating pools of option shares and hopefully bring in some, some heavy hitters by like people that can just be catalysts for the business. Um, and just work, work really, really hard.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a great, uh, Andy mentioned it towards the end with nature can it's a big, it's a, I know he's very, very passionate about it. I know quite a few other people who've done exactly the same thing and, it is now a bit more modern approach that everyone can feel a part of what you want. It's it's the only way for people to truly follow your dream. So, very last question. I mean, maybe flippantly or not, Marcus, you mentioned the word 100 million. Um, let's just say, let's just say that's a target, big, hairy, audacious goal, but maybe not because you know where you guys are anyway. I suppose how long do you think it'll take to get there? I, so many variables involved in that, but All right, You can how do quickly? it quickly.
1: What did you say, Marcus? This enlightened me. Weren't what's our target?
2: so I, I think we can get there. I think we can get to that valuation in the next two to three years.
1: Yeah, but turnover. How long would it take us to get to that turnover? No idea. We literally don't have a clue. I think it's like this. It changes so fast. Like we, I don't know. The, the U.S. is a big curveball because. It's it's very, very risky, but like the potential upside is massive. And I think we've got to play it very carefully with that. But I think that when the time is right, if we can if we can prove the model in the US, like we've proven it in the UK, and we're doing a lot now, over the next few months, we'll we'll start to really prove it. And if we start to see the numbers reflect the sort of repeat purchase rates and trajectory that we've seen in the UK, then it could, it could, it could really go because you start, you prove it in a couple of retailers big retailers so GNC we're 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 nationwide with GNC and if we can prove that then you start having serious conversations with some with some very big retailers but on the flip side I think where our energy is going to go to an extent particularly in the UK and Europe is on the e-commerce and equally if you start to prove a model there and we've got a few different models that we're going to test out for the for the customer acquisition side then you can really ramp it up as well so I don't know depends what
0: happens last question promise um when people do come to that or they would want to get involved or invest and you're going to talk to that they, they, i'm sure they'll go and say you know what's your relationship with each other so are you a ying and a yang like um they want to know that there's some solidity there they want to know that people invest in people as much as they invest in businesses maybe that's me being a bit of a softie but i think it is true um right. how's your relationship been over the course of this uh, as a final point um I mean, to what extent has it been stressed um, to to full extent, or you know, how how easy is it to know that you've got the confidence that you're you're flying high together?
2: Oh, look, Jack and I are both completely different, but we're very good friends, and we'll play golf at the weekend when we can. We'll, you know, we've all got the, we're in the same friendship group, so when we, you know, if we go out at weekends, we're going out with each other. But I think we're pretty, yeah, we're both completely different, you know. Um, I think we complement.
1: I think we complement each other's skills. Yeah. So like, I think it would be like, the, like Marcus is quite. I don't know I, how would you describe yourself, Marcus? Very sort of operational. Very good on the B two B and the sales side. I'm. I'm a little bit. I'm also. I think it's very difficult to define our roles, isn't it? But there's certain things that are like I would never expect you to do, and equally there's, there's certain things and vice versa. Like there's, there's, there's some things that I'm good at and there's some things that you're have good given at each and other we work very well.
0: Have you given each other roles? I'm trying to think Adam and Elliot, you know what? I'm sure one CEO, one chief growth officer. I can't remember. I'm sure Elliot's, anyway, I'll go back and look, but what, have you given yourselves roles yet? I mean, there might not be a need to, but yeah. when
1: we yeah. have we haven't, have we? We haven't. Right. I think when we, the funny thing, when we, so when we set up the U S company, um, the first time we did it, so we did it twice. And we, the first time we set up the US company, I managed to get myself as the chairman and Marcus as the secretary, but then we did it again, and we had to change it from an LLC to an incorporation, and then that time, I think Marcus was the chairman and I was the secretary, so, um, but yeah, but generally in the, in the business as a whole, I think that there's probably, although we, we all the major decisions we make together, and And, like, same with, like, Michael, who does a lot of our marketing, and Sophie, who's coming on board, and Miles, like, I would say that Marcus is slightly more towards the operations, and I was slightly more towards the e-commerce and the the more creative sides of the business, Uh, but... I'm also like finances and, and analytical, we 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 bridge there. So I don't know. I think we, maybe as we expand the team, we'll define our roles more. But if we get that question quite a bit, people say, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do on a daily basis? And 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 I think a lot of people who, who will work like a standard job and work in a big company, they'll say, what do you actually do? Um, with Marcus, the answer is not a lot. Uh, with me, it's just like a mix. Did you even hear that, Marcus? No. You didn't even flinch then.
0: He didn't flinch. He didn't flinch. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Maybe, maybe Jack. That's the whole point. He knows that when you are talking, he can sort of switch, switch off slightly. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's brilliant.
2: I, I think it's, it's co-founders. Is, is you know, you go. It's a it's a rollercoaster of emotions. Your ups and downs. The, the swings are massive. And I think if you're doing it on your own, it can be very difficult. Wouldn't and you know, I
1: wouldn't wouldn't recommend it to anyone
2: to on my own. own in the future. I don't think I could ever do it. And I think it's absolutely key to have a co-founder, you know, from a, a mental health point of view, you can bounce ideas off each other. If you've had a bit of a crap day, something something bad's happened, you come off the phone and you're speaking about something positive. I think it's really key to have someone you, you can speak to and, and, and trust as well.
0: Yeah. Hey, boys, honestly, that's that's been unbelievable. What what, a, what an incredible story. But the honesty, the transparency... Um, and what a great position you've got yourselves in. I think the world is your oyster actually. So um, thank you so much for joining us and offering us that insight. We will definitely get you back because uh, I want to know how the, the build from where you are to, to 100 million was, because you'll be able to tell <laughs> me that fully. And I'm sure it is. I just love the fact that Marcus said it within 15 seconds of asking the question. And then Jack just went, go on Marcus, tell us what yeah, that Marcus,
2: is. Yeah, you,
1: Marcus, <laughs> you've pushed the boat out of there. I so, uh, oh, no. yeah, hey, will see.
0: you'll see. Um, genuinely, thanks so much. I what the crackest thing about this? I, I as I sent to you boys, I had three three sections to this, all all of the questions, and you answered them all. And I don't feel like I actually directly answered asked any of them. It's brilliant. Did we answer
1: that I was worried about that. I would. I was worried we. Miss- oh no, you
0: did. You did. And for everyone listening, so we're just before I close it down. For everyone listening out there. Every answer to the question I I had down, they don't know what the questions were going to be, is in there. COVID, model, growth, innovation, format, experiential, consumer, um, pain points, what's underpinned success. It's all in there, Jack. And that's the beauty. You just tell a story differently. Do you know what the world is all about? Storytelling. Um, And I, I think you told us a great story, but I think crucially to everyone listening, there was... More than enough snippets of tangibility and context to it. So I think with that, I definitely, you've definitely lightened up my day, boys, for you. You definitely have. So uh, best of luck with it, and I, I can't wait to have you back. And that was the story of your brought to you by Jack and Marcus what a great story like I said there at the end I had so many questions which had been mapped out on a you know a very clear script sent to the boys in advance because that's the way we do things to make sure everyone's kind of up and above board with what we want to try and get out of the podcast and I felt like I never asked any of the questions but in a good way because actually throughout the story that Jack and Marcus told us they answered every single one of them but they just told you how it was. Now, in some respects, that tells you exactly where they are as a brand and as a company, and that's at their inception in their infancy, they're relatively immature in terms of what they are going to achieve, there's no doubt about it. Um, but within that, there's something that is brilliant about it. If you'd have asked a poll of people within our industry and you wrote down their idea on a piece of paper, I would argue that most people would suggest that there's not as much in it compared to what they are currently achieving now that doesn't say anything about the idea it's just that when you see a plan on paper it doesn't always come to life until you meet the people and what those people can bring to a brand and i think in jack and in marcus what you have is two friends who work incredibly well together respect each other know their strengths and weaknesses but have got a vision that collectively they can see where they're going they don't know quite necessarily every step they're going to make but what they are going to do is go at it a hundred percent and with a belief that the steps that they do take are the right ones and when you strip everything aside they've developed an inherently profitable business from the beginning. They have repeat companies. They built a relatively good cost acquisition structure. They have a subscription model. All of the metrics that people are desperate to achieve in today's online direct consumer nutrition industry. And with that, they also demonstrated a very skilled approach to starting small and focused with specific retailers and then growing out by just making sure that they were number one in every store that they started at. It's an unbelievably brilliant story and I promise you the more that you potentially get to know Jack and Marcus, the more you will want to know about them. They are probably the most infectious people I've met um, to date and there is no doubt that they're the sort of people that we will watch on from a distance and continually be amazed at the success that they are having so with that i leave you to reflect on the insights of what it's like to bring a business to fruition in today's world um, and work out what it means to you so to jack and marcus thank you to everyone listening stay in touch And we will bring you some more great episodes shortly in the coming weeks.